Hello everybody and welcome along to episode number 16 of the Gunners of Malaysia podcast. On this episode, I'll be reviewing Arsenal's 1-0 victory over Burnley at Turf Moor in the Premier League and give you my player ratings for the match. Now in midweek, we also had another game in the third round of the Carabao Cup against AFC Wimbledon in which we won 3-0. To round the episode off, I'll be giving you my preview to the big match of the weekend, which is the North London derby against Tottenham Hotspur at the Emirates Stadium. So with that being said, sit back, relax, get your tetare, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So Arsenal's trip to Burnley has never been never been easy, I'd say. I think the last few times that we've been there, there have been quite a number of controversial moments, I would say. But surprisingly, we've not lost at Turf Moor, particularly in the league, since 1973, which I did not know until I watched the match. Well, anyway, but anyway, as as always, let's begin with the starting lineup. Initially, I thought it was going to be a 4-2-3-1 formation, but Arteta has decided to go on with a 4-3-3 formation. I think this formation really hinges upon Thomas Partey in the midfield because he's just that good. But anyway, our starting lineup we had Ramsdale in goal, which I thought was quite justified from the game against Norwich. Tomiyasu again, you know, it's quite clear he is our first choice right back at the moment, so he's in. White and Gabriel as our central defensive partnership. Kirantinia left back. Thomas Partey anchoring the midfield with Odegaard and Smith Rowe next to him in the three midfield. Further up the pitch, we had Pepe, Abamyang, and Saka, which is no mean feat. I mean, our front three is going to be pretty fast. Now, when the starting lineups came, I thought it was going to be quite dangerous. I think. When we play a 4-3-3, we're going to have one man in midfield, essentially, and that's going to be Thomas Partey. And against a very physical team like Burnley, I'm not too sure how wise of a decision that is. But with Odegaard and Smith Rowe next to him, I I think the pressing intensity potential is actually pretty good with those two. Although I don't think they are the most capable central midfielders that we have. I definitely wanted to see Partey and Lekonga start midfield. I thought... That will give us a bit more bite in midfield. But having said that, I think this starting 11 is actually pretty strong. And we might see this iteration of team multiple times throughout the season. This Now for Burnley, of course, they're going to come up with a 4-4-2 formation. Very solid against, you know, better quality opposition. They've always done this. Up front, they have their two strikers, Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood. Very formidable strikers, I would say. Very strong physical Um, And it's going to be, well, it was a pretty good test for not only White and Gabriel, but for Ramsdale as well as Tomiyasu in particular, I'd say. Uh, Lekonga, not in the starting eleven. I thought perhaps it was maybe protecting the player because, you know, it's his debut season. And Burnley are one of those teams that you say, welcome to the Premier League too, if you know what I mean. So I think Arteta is really leaning into Partey with this formation. Uh, which I think it's a little bit nervy to do this because, you know, Partey's fitness right now isn't the best and we put too much pressure on him, he might fall. But so far, so good. And fingers crossed that does not happen. So going into the first half, 
like I said before, I thought there was going to be quite a number of fears with the one-man midfield, but the way Partey dropped off from midfield and slotted in next to the centre-backs and collected a ball off them or Ramsdale, I thought that really helped out. But what also helped us out with playing a one-man midfield, essentially, is Burnley's pressing. Now, Burnley are not known to be a very pressing-oriented team. right? I think we've all known that, and they've, over the years, become more and more like Stoke, with you know launching long balls up the field. But in this 4-4-2, Barnes and Wood, they really didn't close down our centre-backs at all, and decided to sit in the pocket between the centre-back and our midfield, which I think in, in the early stages of this match really caused some troubles for our build-up play because our midfielders were basically marked out and White wasn't really on his passing game in this game, which is another down point because it's, it's his second game that he isn't really, you know, he didn't really hit his stride in this match. Now, having said that, he was pretty good in the air, but just his passing wasn't, well, that great in this game. Also, you know, coming in from the match against Norwich, where he played pretty well, passing out from the back, it was a bit of a disappointment. But, like I said before, Barnes and Wood really sat back, let our defenders have the ball. They didn't really know what to do with it without the midfielders coming back and helping. So playing out in the early stages of the first half was a little bit nervy and caused a bit of a stalemate. And I think this is something that teams could look to exploit in the future if they had maybe a pacey front man where you know, they can sit back, let the defenders have the ball, and then if chance comes up, they spring neck the ball off and they are true on goal you know so I'll be quite worried about this moving forward so I would say the first big chance of this match and I say big chance in really big inverted commas because chances were pretty few and far between for both teams in this game even though I think we were quite happy to let Burnley have the ball in the second half but yes in the fifth minute I thought our attacking was pretty good you know we moved the ball really quickly from the left hand side to the right hand side Odegaard lifted a ball for Kirantini on the left-hand side, which, you know, we've seen him make this run countless times last season, even this season. Cuts the ball back, and Pepe is so unfortunate he didn't get the right connection on the pullback, you know. We really should have been 1-0 up there, and I must say, that I think was our best flowing move of the match throughout the 90 minutes, mind you. Really nice to see. It was really fluid move really fluid movements and you know that that's what happens when you can play without the handbrake on that's what i'd say but anyway one of my biggest takeaways from the first half was that pepe's corners are so hit or miss you know a, the game against norwich his corners are pretty good i remember talking you know pretty glowingly about it but in this match was awful and and to be honest i think he needs to stop taking corners at this point get someone else to do it you know even if it's on the right hand side get someone else to do it because so many times it doesn't clear the first man or it goes too far to the far post or it doesn't hit any players or it goes straight to the goalkeeper and i think we're really wasting opportunities with Pepe on corners at this point so but of course i don't think that's going to change i think arteta is still going to keep him but just putting it out there, it really frustrates me to see Pepe on corners. Anyway, Tomiyasu in this match as well, I thought he was... Well, I don't think you can compare his performance against Norwich because I thought he played really well. It was a standout performance from him. 
Um, I think what really contributed to his performance was his time on the ball. I thought he had a lot more time, a lot more passes in this in that game against Norwich, against um, Burnley. It was quite the opposite. But he was really effective defensive, uh, defensively. But having said that, that means that we have one less avenue to attack Burnley because Tomiyasu is not getting forward. And, well, Kianteni, yes, he had that big chance in the fifth minute. But other than that, he didn't really get forward as well. So our, our build-up play was a little bit hit or miss throughout this match. Anyway, our goal came in uh, roughly the just before the 30th minute. Saka was... Well, Saka was running on goal, essentially, and Westwood, a cynical foul just outside the box. Well, I say just outside, I'd say maybe about 5-10 yards outside the box. The commentators hinted that Odegaard might take it. He did look quite convinced, but what an immaculate free kick from Odegaard. You know, up and over the wall, and that's his third Arsenal goal. You know, second in the Premier League, well, first of this season, of course. Spectacular. You know, it's been so long since we've had a set-piece go in like that. And I think the last time this happened was, I don't know, Granite Xhaka against Crystal Palace? Maybe? Oh no, maybe Nicolas Pepe in, in like the Europa League or something. But either way, it's been far too long since we've scored from a direct free kick like this. And it was just pure genius. And it was the standout moment of what turned out to be a pretty cagey match, I'd say. You know, neither team was very good on the day, and this was the crown jewel on top of the three points, I'd say, 100%. Now, so I, for one, after this, after the goal, thought it would be a much open game. You know, there'd be a great incentive for Burnley to come and attack the Arsenal defence. I mean, hey, you're 1-0 down. That would give a little bit more space to a very pacey front line. Um, unfortunately, that was not the case at all. Um... It was really frustrating because every time we tried to hit them on the break, we kept on passing, you know, th there was always a sloppy pass and that would kill the momentum of the breakaway. And it just killed everything. Not, not just the momentum, but the chance itself. You know, so many bad passes. Saka, Pepe, Aubameyang even. Uh, really... It's really frustrating to watch, you know, because we really should have punished Burnley on the counter-attack multiple times in that first half. And I think, I think we're fairly lucky as well that Burnley were very prolific in front of goal. It would be 1-1 going into half-time, 100%, you know. But anyway, I have to give credit to Gabriel again, because in this match he had a huge block, a last-minute block, mind you. To stop, I think, Ashley Barnes in the box from another free kick. It's two games in a row now for Gabriel, and it's nice to see commitment like this from our central defenders, you know. But at the same time, you don't want to see chances like this being given up, you know. You should just defend the first ball and don't put ourselves in a heart-in-mouth situation like that. But Gabriel, to his credit, did very well, and um, as you know, he's going to get extra points on the player ratings for that. Now, in the 44th minute, I think Smith-Rowe had a very good chance. He found space around the penalty spot and he put a really tame effort on goal. That, that's what I'd say. I know it's on his weaker side, but he should be really doing better with that. But it just reminded me that 
if Lacazette was in that position, he'd score that goal because it was a trademark Lacazette goal, you know, with Pepe cutting back from the right-hand side, Lacazette hanging around the penalty area and not putting much power into the shot, but just redirecting the cross into the box. And that's what Lacazette's really good at. Just didn't turn out for Smith-Rowe in this, in this instance. Um, so just before the end of halftime, again, we had another chance to, I would say, put the game to bed on the counter-attack, of course. A sloppy pass from Emil Smith-Rowe, which was the theme of all our breakaways, as mentioned before. But Pepe really, you know, he did a lot to save the move. He picks out Saka, making a brilliant run through the middle, but a really disappointing first touch, you know, from Bukayo Saka. And the chance goes, just like that. Why I brought this point up is because, well, well one, we didn't have many chances then at first half or the second half. But the other point that I really wanted to bring up from not only the first half but from this match itself is that I personally think Saka might need a run of games on the sidelines. I think he looks quite sloppy in this game. Even the game against Norwich, I thought his first touch wasn't really there. He wasn't, you know, he's not getting in the same positions as he were, um, you know, he's not impacting the game as much as he was last season and Maybe this could be down to fatigue, you know, because he didn't have much of a break coming back from the Euros and perhaps a time on the sidelines might do him some good. But that's just my hot take from this match. Uh, anyway, second half. Well, what can I say about the second half? I think I was more frustrated and angry apart from anything else. Other than anything else, I should say. Burnley came out with a much higher pressing intensity, I'd, I'd say that. And it caused Ben White to lose possession um, twice in the second half. Now, personally, I think the increased pressing intensity from Burnley caught Ben White off guard. Easily dispossessed early in that second half. And he just took too long on the ball, dilly-dallied, and he got, he got his pocket picked, essentially. And I think... That was just a sign of things to come. And I think that moment was a really key moment for Ben White in this game. And that was when I think he got, I think things got a little bit too nervy for him. And the game went downhill from there. Anyway, Ramsdale in this match, I thought he played really well on set pieces in particular, as well as in the air. Claimed pretty much everything and it really helped settle down a defence in that second half. In the 56th minute, I just want to highlight that Burnley actually brought on their summer signing, the new summer signing, player called Corne, that he signed from Lyon. And to be honest, when he came on, he really changed up the game, the dynamics of the game itself. You know, he got the crowd on side and it gave a very different dynamic for our for the Arsenal defence to defend against. You know, he was very fast, very tricky. And I would say Kone as a player is not your typical Burnley player. You know, he's not very big. <laughs> he's not very good in the air. And I struggle to see why he joined. Um, but I would say for his debut, I thought he did pretty well and almost had instant impact. Intricate passing at the edge of the box for Burnley, which I don't think anyone saw coming. Maybe it's a hint of us not being, being able to defend very well against something like that. But I'm so glad that didn't go in because, oh, we would not hear the end of it if after a little bit of tippy-tappy from Burnley of all teams and 
they score from it. I mean, <laughs> how the mighty have fallen, you know, a lot of people would say. So our first sub came in minute 60. Lakonga came on for Emile Smith-Rowe. I think uh, it was a more of a tactical change to address Kone midfield to shore up things over there because, well, for one, we were getting overrun and Smith-Rowe, I think, wasn't very effective from that point on. Well, second half at least. But yeah, from there, Burnley's, Burnley's press didn't really last long. I think we rode out the press from then on. It went back to more half-hearted press from the front too and we tried to see the game out from there what i will say is we had a very big heart and mouth moment in the 67th minute which i would say is the most contentious period of the match although is it really contentious because i think it was the right call what i'm referring to is the penalty decision after a week back pass from ben white now i did mention that he was a little rattled after being you know after getting his pocket picked by Chris Wood early in the second half. But this was a terrible back pass and all credit to Aaron Ramsdale because he was really quick off his line and got a touch to the ball before the Burnley player who was running, um, running for the ball did. Now, when I saw this in real time, I thought, dang, I mean, that that's... That's a stonewall penalty all day long, and that's what the and that's what the referee gave, you know. Thankfully, VAR came to Arsenal's rescue for the first time this season, and hopefully not the last time, because hey, fair is fair. I mean, he got the ball first, and it's not a foul. The angle just behind the goal, you could definitely see that Ramsdale just got his foot onto the ball before the Burnley player, and the penalty was justifiably denied. One, I'm really happy for Ramsdale. He bailed our defender out. And I think this is equivalent to Leno bailing Gabriel out on his debut against Fulham last season, if you remember. He had a really bad back pass as well in that game. And Leno was there to help him out. So shades of that. Hopefully, Ben White comes back better from this. And Ramsdale, he keeps his place for the North London derby. But anyway... Pretty pleased, yet another refereeing decision goes against Burnley, against Arsenal. Very happy about that, and also very happy to see Sean Dyche pissed off on the sideline. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite something. You know, he is the longest-serving manager in the Premier League at this moment. Um, um, but yeah, really nice to see him angry. Anyway, 74th minute, Maitland-Niles comes on for Partey, um, and... Tavares comes on for Kieran Tierney now a lot of people were talking about this change and they were a little bit annoyed about it after the game both came off because of cramp um, and they're subsequently fine because they played a little part in the games against Wimbledon so no concerns there even though at the time I thought oh might be a muscular injury here but people were annoyed because of how mm, I think fitness-wise affects our formation because this really, you know, tied the hands of Mikel Arteta to make any other changes in this match to, you know, get us a better foothold throughout that second half or even potentially capitalizing on Burnley's mistakes. But anyway, it was a super nervy finish to that second half. Can't lie, but three points to us. Doesn't matter how you get it. 1-0, 10-0, does not matter. Still three points and happy about it. So yeah, 
that was the game against Burnley. Um, and I think let's get on to the player ratings. So Ramsdale in goal, I would give him 9 out of 10. 100% the player of the match for me. I think he was magnificent, claiming crosses, guiding the defence. His distribution as well should not be understated. I thought this game was just excellent from him. Not really tested in shot stopping. But at the same time, I wouldn't want him to be tested in terms of his shot stopping this match because that's how much he or him and the defense control things. Now, Tomiyasu gets an 8 from me. I think in this game, he he gets a better score than, a, than his debut against Norwich purely because he's up against a very different side in the Premier League and he looked just as good without having to go forward. You know, he was really good in the air. Really good last-ditch defending at times to win the ball back, interceptions, things like that. So pretty good game again from Tomiyasu. Hopefully this continues. Ben White. Now this one, I think I'll have to give him a 5. Um, a five, 5 basically means an average game, right? It's what you expect from him. And I think that's the key thing now. We've seen Ben White play ooh, three games for Arsenal now. Three or four games. And... He was quite shaky in the f- in the first game against Brentford. Again, in this game, I wouldn't say he was shaky throughout the match, but he was definitely shaky at the start of the second half, and I think that really impacts his his rating for this game overall because, you know, mistakes like that are the ones that really stick in the mind because when I say that, he won the most challenges in the air for the Arsenal defence. So it was a very perplexing game for Ben White to grade him in that sense. But Gabriel and his but for his defensive partner and Gabriel, I'll give him an eight. Because well, I would have given White an eight if he didn't have that horrible back pass moment. But Gabriel again he gets a better score because one, I thought him in the air against Ashley Barnes was pretty good. And let's not forget his last-ditch defending against uh, Ashley Barnes, again, in the box. So moving on to left-back, I'll give Kieran Tierney a 7. I thought it was a pretty standard game from Tierney. He got down a lot more in this game, down the left-hand flank. Created a couple chances, which was different compared to the previous game against Norwich. And solid game. Had to go off early, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, pretty good. Thomas Partey, I give him a 7. I thought his passing wasn't as good as the previous game, but he was definitely a presence in midfield. And, you know, to be a presence in a one-man midfield against Burnley takes some serious skill and physicality. So credit where credit is due. Um, I, I really hope to see Partey complete 90 minutes more often coming up in the future. And... You know, this this is so unlike Partey because, you know, when he was at Atletico Madrid, he would be finishing games 90 minutes, never injured and things like that. So hopefully a fit Partey comes back soon because I think he's definitely capable of more. And it goes back to what I said about uh, the player ratings over the course of last season where I mentioned that Partey wasn't that good. I thought he was capable of better. Now, Odegaard for this match... I'd give him a 7. If he didn't score the free kick, I'd give him a 6 because I didn't think he was that effective. I think the whole front end of the midfield wasn't on the same wavelength, which is, well, 
no other way to put it besides unfortunate. But again, what a wonderful free kick. And I think we'll be seeing this goal replayed on the Arsenal page for years to come. Now his midfield partner was Smith Rowe, six. Not the best game from Smith Rowe. I thought he had quite a number of chances in this match. And again, I don't expect Smith Rowe to be scoring, you know, at least 10 goals from midfield. But realistically, I think he would get at least five in the league. At least five. That's what I would ask him, I mean, ask him to target. But I think he really needs to work on his shooting in his game. Because he always gets into the right positions and he can carry the ball into the box. Really good close control and... He could really profit from that. Saka, I thought he had a very average game. I'll give him a 5. Like I said before, I don't think he's at his best and might need a you know, a run of games on the sidelines. Aubameyang, I give him a 5. Pepe as well, a 5. Pepe was so frustrating this game. You know, passes weren't on point. His crossing wasn't on point. His, his corners weren't on point. In terms of Aubameyang... It's not really his fault. Again, service was really bad for him. That's why I think it was a very average game. I can't think of any major chances that Aubameyang had or clear-cut chances that he should have scored as well. So, 5 for him. Now, on to the substitutes. Ainsley, Maitland-Niles. I give him a 5. Wasn't on for too long, but I would say he did slightly change that midfield dynamic and it was good to see him, you know, toughen the challenge. Tavares, 5. Again, not on for very long. He did have that one moment where he, you know, he intercepted the ball back in our half, drove basically the length of the pitch. And I think if he was playing in the Premier League for one or two seasons more, he would have laid the ball off for one of our attackers in that in that phase because I think it was a three and three attack at that point. And like I mentioned about Tavares, I think he has all the qualities in the world to be Arsenal's left back. But he just seems a bit raw and inexperienced and this really showed where when he really should have released a player in this instance he took a shot on and it just went wide. Sambi Lakonga, I'll give him a 5. Again, nothing too special. Did what he had to do coming on as a sub. So as you can see it was definitely a game for the defenders against Burnley as it always is. 3 points in the bag, that's 6 points. We didn't really do much work at chipping away at our negative goal difference, but hey, I'll take the win. So now moving on to our game against Wimbledon in the in the Carabao Cup third round. I predicted 3-0 on a post on Instagram. If you haven't seen it already, please check it out. We have an Instagram account called at Gunas of Malaysia, cheap plug. But yeah, we had a predicted lineup down there as well and just couldn't get a podcast up in time to preview the game and that's why we are mashing these two uh, games up together. Now I did expect a heavily rotated side and that's exactly what we got. Um, unfortunately there was no coverage of this match which is just so frustrating um, but I did see the highlights of the goals. I'd say Martinelli seemed quite lively. He also won the penalty for Lacazette to tuck away. And what a penalty from Lacazette. I don't think he's ever missed a penalty for Arsenal uh, since he's joined. So, a really good penalty. Uh, the second goal was scored by Smith Rowe. Not much to say about it. I think uh, the ball just ricochets within the box. It falls to him after some really good build-up play and he puts the ball in the back of the net. 
having said that, it's something that he should have done against Burnley. So it's good to see that he's, uh, well, <laughs> improving throughout the next game. Personally, I didn't think Smith Rowe would play in this game. I thought Odegaard might start in front of him. And of course, the last goal was scored by Eddie Nketiah, who started the match. Again, going back to my predictions for the match, I thought Balogun might start up front. But no, Arteta decided uh, it was going to be Nketiah with Lacazette. Again, in a 4-3-3 formation of sorts, I would say, to get the two strikers in. Um, really good goal, back heel. Um, similar to a goal that Ramsey scored for us some time back. Lovely finish, but from what I heard throughout the match, it was fairly anonymous. I can't have too many comments from the game because I haven't seen the game in its entirety just yet, or I don't think I ever will because it was not covered. But I don't really have too many problems with Enketia starting up front. Uh, I know he has you know less than 12 months left on his contract, and he's probably going to walk away for free at the end of it. But at the same time, there is the January transfer window, and if he's getting some game time right now, scoring against some op some decent quality opposition, we might get some money for him in January. I'll float that idea out there. Unfortunately, this means that Balogun didn't get any game time, and personally, I think our cup tie against Wimbledon is the last time that we're going to get a, a minnow in these cup competitions, and... We don't have the Europa League for him to play any games, so I think we really should have sent Balogun out on loan, personally, and stuck with three attackers in Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Eddie Nketiah. Of course, hindsight's 2020, and we really couldn't do that because we thought Nketiah was going to leave uh, just before the transfer window shut, and that would have left Balogun as third choice. But anyway, that's that's the cards we've been dealt with dealt with and we just gotta keep rolling with it i guess so anyway that that's it from the game against wimbledon i don't think there's much else to say not many talking points so let's get on to the big game of the weekend arsenal against spurs right so team news first of all it looks like Arsenal don't have any injury updates, which means that everyone is basically fit and ready. Granit Xhaka, of course, is, well, first of all, he's recovered from COVID, thankfully, and he has finally served his three-game suspensions following the game against um, Wimbledon. So he will be in contention for, uh, for some game time. Elneny as well is coming back from his injury and he's apparently available. Although I'm not too sure about Kalasanak because there's no news on him and he did go off injured in the uh, during the international break. So I think he might be the only one who's out. So yeah, in terms of Tottenham, they did beat Wolves in the third round of the Carabao Cup, albeit on penalties. It was a 2-2 draw. Um, they are coming into this game after losing 3-0 against Crystal Palace in the league as well as 3-0 against Chelsea. So... How the tables have turned, you know, Arsenal coming in this with some really good form, three wins. And Spurs are coming into this with, well, two draws and a, and a loss in the last three games. So in terms of team news for Tottenham, I think only Lucas Moura and Steven Bergwin is out from this match. Looks like, but we'll see. I think we'll get more updates closer to the match itself. So... 
with a full team for Arteta to pick his starting lineup, I think the predicted team for this match is going to be quite interesting. Because there's so many ways that we can spin this. I think the big one is going to be in goal. Um, there were reports a couple of weeks back that Ramsdale will be dropped from this match and Lennon will come into the first team again. Now, when this when, when Lennon was first dropped, I said, you know what, it's unfortunate, but it's okay. He'll have the game against, I mean, assuming that the report is true, that he'll come back for the Spurs game. He'll have the game against Wimbledon and then to serve as somewhat of a warm-up match. And then he'll play Spurs, so he's not completely cold. Now, the thing with what well, the problem with this is that he didn't face a single shot on goal or off target as well against Wimbledon. And he really didn't have anything to do in that game against Wimbledon. So I don't think it's the right time to throw Leno back into the first team. And I think, personally, Ramsdale should keep his place in that back, um, back five. So with that being said, I think the back four is quite standard and I don't think we'll see many deviations from it. Tomiyasu right back, Gabriel and Ben White with Kieran Tierney at left back. So it'll be the exact same back line for the past three games. That's what I'm predicting and that's what I'm hoping because we need some consistency at the back. Now this is where I think the predicted lineups can get a little spicy. So personally, I think... Arteta would go for a 4-3-3 formation in this game. One, because Partey would be available. And two, because it's the more attacking formation. Plus, we're playing at home. And I think he wants to play into the crowd's hands with this one. Or at least he should. So I'm going to say Partey in midfield. Flanked by either Smithrow or Odegaard. They'll both be in the team. But either one of them with Lekonga in the midfield. I think that gives us a bit more security. From there, our front three is going to be, well, Aubameyang, Saka, and one of Smithrow or Odegaard. Pick and choose, whichever. I think they are interchangeable at this point. Now, this is the team that I would like to see against Spurs, but this is a team that I don't think we'll see against Spurs. Um, purely because I don't think... Because I have this niggling feeling that Mikel Arteta will bring Granit Xhaka back into the first team. And if he does that, I think he'll go with a 4-2-3-1 formation, where it's Partey and Xhaka in midfield. Odegaard as our number 10, Smith Rowe on the left-hand side with Saka on the right. No Pepe and Aubameyang up front. The Pretty much the same team that we played against Spurs last season and won. Why I say this is because Smith Rowe and Tierney destroyed the left-hand flank. And I think Emerson Royale is there to be exploited in this match. So two, I'd say two predicted lineups here. If they play with Shaka, it's going to be a 4-2-3-1. If Shaka isn't going to get into the starting lineup, I would like to see Lekonga, Partey, and one of uh, one of Odegaard or Odegaard or Smith Rowe in midfield. Now, having said that, going through the names. I think a midfield three of Partey, Lekonga and 
Maitland-Niles would actually be pretty interesting as well. I'd like to see that at some point in the season, but yeah, there's that. Yeah, so that's going to be my predicted lineup. I know a lot of fans out there are saying, you know what, Lacazette should start because you know he scores. He likes to score a goal against Spurs. And that means we will have to put Lacazette up front with Aubameyang out left. I don't think the balance of the team would be that optimal in that sense if that were to happen. But you never know. Mikel Arteta might be overthinking things um, if that's really considered. And honestly, he should just go with the same team that he put out last week because we need some consistency, right? Anyway... Getting on to my predicted scoreline, I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be two one to Arsenal. Now I know one team's coming in with form, the other team's not, but I have a sneaky feeling. Well, I should say first of all, in the North London derby, form always goes out the window. Doesn't matter how bad you're playing, the players are always up for this match. Now I'm fully expecting Harry Kane to score, even though he's had a an awful run since coming back into the Spurs team fully expecting him to score Son I predict Tomias is going to control him until he moves flank um, and hopefully we can score two goals to be honest I don't know where the goals are going to come from most probably Aubameyang and from then on you know don't quite know who's going to do it because from the predicted lineup not many of the players there are you know natural goal scorers that's what i'd say but yeah hopefully it's 2-1 i know it's going to be a very close encounter and i'm definitely expecting tottenham to turn up with their a game you know they've been embarrassed 3-0 twice in the league back to back and I think this is the perfect time for them, in their, for, in their perspective, for them to bounce back against none other than their local rivals, Arsenal. So expecting a really tough game on Sunday night. Definitely not going to be taking anything for granted. And we're going to be pretty lucky it's going to be televised, unlike the game against Wimbledon. So anyway, the game is going to be at 11.30pm Sunday night for everyone here in Malaysia. And don't miss it because games against Spurs are never boring. There's always red cards, lots of goals, and a lot of fiery emotions. So with that being said, I'm going to bring it close to the podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Instagram now. It's at Gunas of Malaysia. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to share it with your Guna friends. And you can find this podcast on all podcasting apps out there. So with that being said, let's hope for three points on the weekend. Put Spurs where they need to be. And let's have a great weekend ahead. So until the next episode, take care, stay safe. I hope your Tay Tarek has finished. And I will talk to you in the next one.